Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Quest for Wisdom podcast, where we search for nuggets of wisdom from the lives of some truly amazing people. Today's guest is Florian Casaguana. He's a London-born comedian and performer who has studied theatre since the age of eight and loves being the centre of attention. He has followed the Hare Krishna cult, as he jokingly puts it, for five years and has recently been initiated as a full-fledged member. He is a fun, intelligent and fanatic preacher who prays sincerely, sins extravagantly and expresses trauma transparently on stage. He is addicted to milk and looks down on those who disrespect cows. Today, we discuss Hare Krishna, consciousness, God and the demigods, celibacy, no sex before marriage, the path to enlightenment, comedy and much more. You can find Florian's work on Instagram at flowflowcomic. F-L-O-F-L-O comic. Florian is a unique human being with a quirky energy, and I hope you find our conversation enlightening. Right, I think we're live now. Yeah, welcome, welcome, Florian Casaguanas. Is yeah. that right? That's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's right. right. I think the S at the end, maybe not. Like, Casaguanas. Casaguanas. Yeah, 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 that's good. So, first things first, um, Florian, you are a comedian. Yeah, man. A human. Yeah, also. And a recent Harry Krishna initiate. <laughs> is that the word? In, initiate? Like initiated. Yeah, like a, what, what's the official name of a, like a person who's just been... Initiated. Initiated, yeah. Just initiated, yeah. Just an, uh, You've been initiated, yeah. I don't think it's like an official name. You do get a spiritual name, which is pretty nice. What's your spiritual name? Spiritual name is Balaram Das Das Babaji Das Das Babaji Das Maharaj Babaji Tikka Masala. <laughs> is any of that accurate yeah yeah Balaram Das Balaram Das yeah it means um, do you know what it means no no it means uh, the giver of pleasure ah very nice yeah. I do know that there is a person called Ram Das not that kind of dirty pleasure I know you're thinking of no not that kind of like spir- I was think- spiritual pleasure That's I was thinking of like the pleasure of <laughs> when you you sat there stuffing your face full of cake okay, I was thinking yeah. of that kind of okay, pleasure oh, okay yeah. okay well, we'll you know like yeah. have your cake and eat it okay um yeah. <laughs> but yeah first things first before we delve into why you're called Babaram Ram Das <laughs> um <laughs> Florian Casaguana, British yeah. accent, London yeah. accent, yeah, strange man. name. Yeah, man. Where does that come from? So my mom is my mom is French. My grandparents are Catalan oh. and Spanish. And during the Civil War in Spain, they went over to France. So my mom was born in France. And she went over to London. She met my father and she stayed there to learn English. And then I was born in London. I was born in London, Hackney, East London, bro. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, bro. <laughs> <laughs> When I when I first saw you, you you described no, someone described you as the philosophical Oliver Twist. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> that was the first time I saw you on stage. Okay, um, yeah. I think I remember that. Yeah, because I used to go up on stage and start saying like, "I'm a philosopher," and people used to laugh at that. <laughs> they yeah, haven't seen his face. They haven't seen his look. They kind of go, "You philosopher, fuck the fuck up. What the fuck? You're like a party animal." <laughs> no, because you, you go on, you're like. Yes, bro. So basically, like, I'm, I'm from London, in here, but like, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not stupid. I'm a philosopher. And everyone's like, "What? Yeah, Why yeah, does this guy yeah. sound like a twist?" Yeah, it's incongruent. It's like, what the fuck's going on? Um, so yeah. Um, how did you get on to becoming a Harry Krishna initiate? Let's start from let's start from the beginning. Early years, teenage years. What were you like? What was family life like? How 
did you end up being an East Hackney guy in Barcelona? <laughs> London bra. But East London bra. <laughs> yeah. Um, being a Harry Krishna. How's that happened? How did how did it happen? I was I was an atheist my whole life actually. So I was an atheist and I was like, yeah, I was just an atheist. I, just, I liked debating religion, but I was never like believing in a god or a single god or anything like that. So I was just like, let's forget about this. But let's just like let's debate it. And I remember even at one point I stopped being an atheist after at one point because just felt like there was no conclusive argument to kind of like saying there was no God 100%. So I was just like, okay, whatever. I'm just going to, I'm going to call myself, ag uh, was it agnostic? Agnostic. Not agnostic, agnostic. Agnostic is that I'm not going to debate about God until we actually probably define God. So I was like, okay, I'll stick to this. And I kind of stuck to that. And I always like to talk about religion and stuff. But then I went through like a, um, a tough time in my life where I broke up with the mother of my child. And oh. then she... She had you call it, yeah. And then I stopped seeing my daughter so much, and I started drinking a lot, smoking a lot. I was kind of spiraling down a little bit and going into depression. And what age was this at? This was at uh, twenty-eight. And how old are you now? <coughs> so now I'm thirty-five. Okay. And so I started spiraling down a little bit, and I was kind of going down. And then I always knew that meditation was like scientifically proven. So I'm very much like scientifically driven. I still am because there is a science of God, uh, which is pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, so I started spiraling down and I was like, okay, I need, I need to just start meditating. So I went to like this meditation center, which is the Vipassana Buddhism. Kind of That's meditation. the silence retreat, isn't it? That's a silence retreat for 10 days. Yeah, so nice. that was amazing. I did, I had a, I had a Kundalini awakening there. Oh, yeah, exciting. yeah, right. Actually, I apparently heard recently that we can't actually get Kundalini awakenings. Apparently this is not at this age of having Kundalini awakenings. That's what my friend said. Right, he said that at this it, age and time, we can't actually get the proper Kundalini awakening. It's actually not possible because we're not like as intelligent or as, as we were before. Like the consciousness is not strong enough. It's not strong in enough. In this exactly. certain age. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I can believe that. Yeah, yeah. So he said that. But what I did, I felt some type of energy going through my body. And it was like, I was meditating for hours. And then, anyway, I remember at the end of the retreat, just kind of going like, this was, like, I feel good now. You know, I really, truly feel good, you know, and obviously it would go away if I didn't meditate. So I just got addicted to meditation. <laughs> I just switched my drugs to meditation. I was, I was, it was like a huge, I was a bit of a stoner. I like stoner, I like my weed. Um, still like my weed. Smoked, I smoked, I've been smoking for the past month now. I'm back on track. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite. <laughs> Fall off the track. No, I'm joking. Uh, but how'd you call it? So... So yeah, and then after that, I started meditating, and through there, I started meditating in temples. Then I started listening to the philosophy, and through that, I started to get realizations through experience, just meditating in temples, understanding God, who well, was God, and stuff like this. And then, and after I was like, okay, when the experience hit me, kind of like, it's like a realization, you're just kind of going like, there's something more, there's something special about understanding God, and then that made me kind of just go like, okay. Let me start. Let me like dwarf into this a little bit because I feel good. I feel really good, like triple good, like quadruple good. In when I started like different type of meditation, but also like praying to God and just trying to have a bit of faith in my life, and that really changed a big, changed a lot in my life. Yeah. So there's a few things I wanna. That's awesome. Mm. There's a few things I wanna pick apart there. Yeah, um, first thing is Kundalini. So yeah. Kundalini. 
has, as far as I understand, has a few different names. Kundalini would be coming from the Vedic tradition. Mm-hmm. Am I correct? Um, <clears throat> um, so the Vedic Kundalini, it could be. Thing is, is that we don't really like study too much like the yoga systems. We study okay. a, a type of yoga because yoga technically means to do, connect with the divine. Right? So technically, all yogas are there to connect you with the divine. Unity, I think it means. Yeah, exactly. So then, um, so then, how do you like in which process in which role, like you know how do you get there? There's different types of yogas to get you there. Now, if um, what's it called? If um, if Kundalini is accepted in the Vedas, I'm not hundred percent sure. I don't know if actually Kundalini is accepted or I think it might be because I think there's Vyasa, there's there's Vyasa, then there's, how do you call it, Sanjaya Yoga, then there's Karma Yoga, which is more the karmic reactions, understanding what karma is. And then there's the Bhakti Yoga, which is what we study. Because I'm, I'm more focusing specifically on Kundalini itself. So Kundalini, as I understand it, is energy that's with inside us mm-hmm. that can be called upon through yogic practices, through meditation, to basically give us super in some cases supernatural experiences mm. your typical putting into dream states um speaking with gods all these different types of things but from my understanding and the, the, the science behind it is that kundalini can also be thought of as spinal fluid which is collected at the base of your spine and meditative practices practice the like squeezing of the pelvic floor and focusing on the base of the spine and then trying to shoot this cerebral fluid into your brain which can then cause you these crazy experiences but some people have this energy or whatever it is activated through various different methods some people just have to work at it really hard yoga or meditation but some people it'll just happen one day mm-hmm. and that's the crazy thing because i'm like is this a little ticking time bomb waiting to just explode inside of us and flood us with more energy mm-hmm. um or is it something that anyone can access or do certain can certain people access this newfound energy within this lifetime if you believe in the theories of many lifetimes and reincarnation um so i mean could you explain when you said you had a kundalini awakening I've been having a week now. So could you explain what that was like for you? That was, it was just like a, how do you call it? It was like a, just a, an undulation of energy coming through my spine and going up. And then just pain kind of flowing through. I started to cry. Um, and obviously you feel like, you feel quite like light afterwards. Um like you've gotten rid of something, you know? But that feeling, you, you could get it in actually a lot of practices, not just Kundalini. So for example, I did a Kundalini a- activation therapy um, where you sit, you just lie down and then a woman comes around, they put music on and she touches a few parts of your body and your Kundalini is awakened, um, apparently. Mm-hmm. All right. And that was actually, it was pretty intense because I remember just lying there and just my, my consciousness being out of my body. You know, there's no drugs, no nothing. There's no like smoking, anything or... Or anything to do with DMT taking or anything like that. But I literally felt my consciousness leave. Like, I felt the whole time my, my consciousness was out of my body. And then, and I just, 
I remember going, just lying there for like maybe an hour, an hour and a half, not moving a single inch. And then I was like, okay, this is not really work. You know, I was like, this is not really happening. This is not really exactly what I thought it was supposed to be. And then suddenly she put me, she kind of like did something to put me back inside my body. And as soon as that happened, I remember feeling this like pain again, you know, like uncomfortability. I was like, ooh. Because obviously the body is not like, you know, a super comfortable place to be in. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like full of like aches and pains and it gets old and weak and stuff like this. So, so I remember just that and I just remember kind of going, it took me like a, a bit of time just to get out of, you know, just, well, just kind of get back to reality in a sense. And also there's like Kundalini, there's that, for example, which also like that after, afterwards, I felt like really like lighter, alleviated, you know, from uncertain pains and suffering. And... And recently I did like, a, how do you call it? A Korean meditation, which was pretty badass. Um, which a friend of mine came from Swiss, um, Switzerland. And she does this um, Korean meditation where they take like these images in your head. And they say, okay, so what you do, they take these images and they go, okay, we've got these images, right? And just, you could, so they gave me an introduction. They gave me a seminar. Oh, a seminar. So, sorry, just to stop you. Yeah. When you're saying taking images, they're, yeah. they're they are giving you images to put in your head no, no, or no. you're they're trying to extract images no, no, from no. you. No, no, no. So what it is, is how do you call it? So in the seminar, what they said, I was a bit disappointed when I walked in there because like they were like proper Korean girls. Like they've been here for like maybe two, three months. They opened up a center. They've never been out in Barcelona. They've just known Korea. Like they were like proper Korean, man. Uh, they didn't give me any like Korean tea when I walked in. They gave me some manzanilla, which was like, whatever. Anyway, I was the only thing that disappointed me. And um, so we sat down and gave me the seminar and they said, okay, so take these images from your childhoods, you know, like images and bring them up to when you're about, um, let's say, you know, 15, 20, 30, or to now, to the present moment. That's what they said. So from your childhood to your present moment, care about these images. For me, it felt like more like reels, you know, reels from like Instagram and shit, than actually like just photos. They were saying photos and stuff. So I was like, okay, cool. So the, I'm still a bit confused. So they, mm -hmm. they were saying like, how do they know the the images from your childhood or they're they just don't, no, no, no. so they're just telling you yeah they're just they're, they're telling me the method right so they gave me a method all right so it's the method is meditation method in a sense um invented by some korean guy um taken from i think like buddhism somewhere close way around there uh adapted to this modern age so it would take these images and say so you kind of go through the images and we did that so we took like 10 minutes and we're like okay um we sat down i think 15 minutes it was it was the night before I went out. I was absolutely knackered. I was like, fuck, I'm going to get 15 minutes of sitting down here fucking trying to meditate. <laughs> it's going to be fucking impossible. I was like, just please don't fucking fall asleep. Just don't just fucking fall asleep. I was trying hard. I was falling asleep. And I was praying also just like, fucking don't fucking snore. <laughs> like, and I just, I just be like, <clears throat> anyway, whatever. Like, So, um, so yeah, so we sat down there and uh, after about like a couple of minutes, like after maybe about five minutes, I did like my mind started to go up into this dream state, mm -hmm. like the half conscious dream state, you know, like, you know, you're in a kind of dream and you're kind of going and you can't really control it too much, but you're like, okay, I'm there. I'm just going to stay there. I don't know what I'm going to do. I kind of stayed there for a while. And I, I had, I took the excuse. I was like, you know, the mind wanders. So I was not going to excuse if I really fell asleep, <laughs> you know, something like I don't remember anything or tried the method. But then, yeah. So what I did is I did like that whole like thing from like, uh, more, like from my age of five, some of the earliest memories I try to go through, I try to go up to the way now. I kind of, I think I got to fifteen years old, something like this. So they're, so they're, so they're basically telling you to kind of, uh, 
think of prominent memories when you're five. Think of exactly. prominent memory when you're six. Think of prominent memory when you're exactly. seven. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay. And as a person, how visual are you when you're like? How mentally visual are you? Can you bring up very strong visual imagery? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think we could. I think everybody could do that. And I think we. I don't know, like, uh, like images or like imagination. Bring the imagination up. You know, I don't know how. Maybe different people have different ways of. You know, like um, maybe seeing it in their minds. You know. See, for me, if I try and bring up, I only found out like two years ago mm -hmm. that people can visualize things in their head. Mm -hmm. Since then, I've been practicing it, but mm -hmm. I don't naturally picture things in my head. Okay. I have to actually actively try and do it. And when I okay. do, when I first started, it was like, it was like watching, it was like trying to bring up a picture with almost no detail yeah. in really, really dark, grayscale, black and white that's where you basically can't see anything. Mm. Now I can bring up better pictures, but for me, memories will be like one sort of concept as opposed mm. to like a, a big image okay, you know yeah. like i can't i can't really bring up video imagery i'm practicing it i think i probably will be able to oh, in like yeah. in a while but some people are hyper visual and some people can't visualize at all yeah, for yeah, me it's yeah. like words conversations and sentences oh, like okay, what yeah. i'm that's how i think in well, words yeah, some yeah, people yeah. think in pictures some yeah, people think exactly. in both yeah yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's a big difference but i always since i found out now i always question people like yeah. how visual are you because yeah, i'm trying to like yeah. formulate my own mm. like theories about mm -hmm. why some people are more visual and why they're not yeah, it's interesting, um yeah. mega interesting anyway sorry carry yeah. on well yeah because i think there's like how do you call it there's like um you know visual memory auditive memories like touch memory also smell memory is like a whole bunch of those interesting so then yeah so and after that she kind of said to me she goes because what um okay and then so now what we do with these images is um so we finish the meditation i was like okay cool um and then after this, what we do with these images, we then take these images and we kind of put them into the fire. And I was like, okay. She was like, so for example, if you take a piece of paper and you throw it into the fire, it's like letting go. That's what countries are saying. Let, letting go. I remember she kind of like, she goes, you could let go maybe of a piece of paper. Like, if you put that into the fire, it's easy to burn. So yeah, it's not true. She goes, what about a newspaper? I was like, well, it's a bit harder to burn a newspaper. She goes, what about a shoe? And I was like, okay, a shoe, maybe like, you know, a shoe, okay, it's, it's going to be harder to burn that. She goes, what about your phone? And, uh, and I was like, you use the phone. <laughs> and I was like, oh, very hard. And I kind of remember uh, thinking that because she's Korean, so she must be loving her phone. Like, so. <laughs> so she must be like, totally like, just like, oh no, the phone, oh no. And also, phone I don't probably, have a phone. The phone probably would burn quite Check well, out. though. Yeah, right. Batteries yeah. probably burn pretty this well. This is my phone. Can you see, see where's the, that's my phone. So for me, it's pretty easy just to get rid of my phone. I can just get rid of that easy lemon squeeze <laughs> So anyway, <laughs> so anyway, so I was a bit sarcastic when I love but I was like, it's kind of funny. And anyway, so they kind of talked about that. And after they kind of said, okay, this is the seminar finished. And I was like, whoa, can I at least try to like throw something into the fire, you know? And um, she's like, oh, no, no, no. End of seminar. And I'm like, okay, well, like, give me like a minute or like two minutes just to try it out. You know what I mean? Just to finish the process or the cycle or, you know? And she's like, okay, fine. So like, so we kind of turn off the lights again, and and she kind of like does a little, you do a little breathing, just a couple of breaths, and then you get into the meditation. And he says, so I remember thinking to myself, okay, and the first thing I took out was like some emotional thing when my mom burnt my hand as a kid, and like, a bit traumatic, you know. So 
And I was going to put that into the fire. And suddenly, as my action was to go put that into the fire, I remember just kind of having a little chuckle to myself. I was like, oh. and then I was putting it into the, and then suddenly I just I went, no, 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 no. I'm going to put that into the fire. You know, I had resistance suddenly just to putting that into the fire. So I remember kind of going, like, that's, you know, that's, um, that's weird. All right. So I then thought, okay, let me, let me try. And I tried some other little things and I, and I found resistance in putting these things into the fire. Because they talk about letting go. You are not these images in your head, you know, or you're not these thoughts maybe, or, you know, you're not these sounds or these conversations or whatever, you know, how you want to, um, you want to think about it. So, so yeah, so I took something more light, you know, I took like a little stupid memory that I had. And I threw that into the fire. And also then I felt like a, a nice um, a nice feeling of letting go. You know, it was a nice energy that I was kind of going through, you know. So I think like alle alleviating suffering is something that can happen in a lot of different um, techniques and stuff like this, you know. And through Buddhism, for example, alleviating suffering is through suffering. Yeah. You alleviate suffering through the suffering. You know, you sit down for long hours and you just kind of like go through those um, habitual like negativity things. Those habits come up. Um, and then through that they come through your body and they just leave and then that's how you just kind of get rid of those so that's cool like but we are we are on a different line than that we go we go straight to the we try to connect with god so what happens is that there's, there's a material energy and there's a spiritual energy right there's two different energies so the material energy is everything that's kind of material so even like mystical powers um even energy forms of like with water fire all of those people we're, our bodies are made of this but what we try to do is actually try to connect to the spiritual energy and trying to get to that, which is because God is 100% spiritual. So he's nothing material. He's not contaminated by anything material. He's like 100%. So when you connect with God, you get, you know, that full potency of um, of God. Right? Not in the, you're, not, you're not becoming God, which is sometimes different than some other philosophies. Um, but what you're doing is just that you, you're like a part and parcel of. So you're like a tiny, mighty part. So you have the same qualities, but in tiny form. Okay. And what is your under like? What is your understanding and definition of God? So, God would be, um, yeah, the all attractive, all attractive personality. So, personality. So, for us, God has got a personality, he's got a name, it's like, um, yeah, it's like a person, you know? So, yeah, an all attractive person, would be saying. So, you, you think of God as not necessarily physical but a, an entity you think of it as an actual entity as opposed to a state or also also so what happens is god has got many forms and different like it's got thousands and millions of forms it's got different ways of expressing itself or himself um or herself or her, well it's actually well krishna is a him so we believe it's a him um he's got radharani which is his consorts which is just his uh, uh immediate expansion which is Radharani which is who he loves the most and he does everything for her so, so do you think that Krishna and Radharani and whatever her name and all the other gods or there are gods like it's like polytheistic isn't it so, so different yeah different they're demigods demigods sorry demigods yeah. so do you think that the demigods and Krishna are created for us to be able to actually conceptualize them as real people or like actual physical things do you think they're created for that purpose to help us understand or do you think that they are still just spirit entities with their own things and they don't have a physical form or didn't have a physical form 
Mm. So the first thing is, is whoever, like, an interesting question would be like, whoever, let's say, created that, that would be God. Right. So technically, God is the creator. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, like, um, and obviously, so we believe that Krishna is a creator. So he created um, those forms uh, for different purposes. Um, one of the main purposes is for his own enjoyment. But they were physical forms. So That's you believed can, to be physical forms. You, it depends on who and what. It depends on who's got the physical forms. Sometimes people have physical forms, like material physical forms, like grossly physical. Some of them are more spiritual, so some of them are more subtle. So it's like you have different forms now. Now you have like a form of water, so you can have ice, water, liquid, um, vapor. So all those are different forms of you know types of different elements, um, and it kind of comes the same thing with um, with spirituality because it's like you know you have your minds, which is is an energy within itself, but it's very subtle. You can't see it per se. You know what I mean? As the physical body, you can see it very easily. But Harry Harry Krishna is is that a branch of Hinduism? So do because Krishna is part of him is one of the is the Hindu god, am I correct in that? And Krishna then, is, is part of the Hindu god, yeah. Yeah, and then you have like Ganesh, the one with the ele the elephant, right, and yeah. then you have like Vishnu and That's some right. of the other ones. So you believe in the same gods, or you yeah. use the same gods as the Hindus? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. so then, how did Hari Krishna like? What is the distinction between Hinduism and Hari Krishna? So it's yeah, I mean, this goes into like the history of like Hinduism and stuff like this, and the history of the lineage of um, of the Hare Krishna. So, which is actually what we're called uh, to the specific is Vaishnavism. So, Vaishnava is somebody who serves God directly, um, a servant of God. So that's why we're called devotees because we devote ourselves to God as as much as we can, like you know what I mean, uh, and our possibilities and our willingness to serve. So. Yeah, we try to do that. But then when it comes down to Hinduism, Hinduism is not, it's like a lot of people, what happens in Hinduism is that some of them, they also think as other gods, as gods, or sometimes on equal level as gods. So for example, they might think of Shiva on equal level as gods or Ganesh on equal level as, as, as Krishna. But we take Krishna as a supreme and everybody else is his servant. So even the okay. demigods are his servant. So I think that's where we kind of maybe differentiate a little bit from Hinduism, whereas they, they're all gods and they're probably all on the same level. But where we definitely differentiate this one supreme personality, Krishna, um, of Godhead, yeah. So I wonder, would that then classify it as monotheistic? I don't know. I don't I'm know. Not, I'm not a, I'm I don't not know. a religious, I'm not a religious religion, philosopher, religion <laughs> philosopher. I've got no idea about this. <laughs> so one supreme god who has demigods that serve him, yeah, serve him, yeah, and serve humanity also. Actually, mostly the demigods are serving humanity. So I suppose <clears throat> it's not that dissimilar from, for example, Catholicism, which has saints. Yeah. You yeah. know, you have the saint of this, the saint of yeah, that. Exactly, yeah. And these people are human, but sometimes said to have um, done miracles. But yeah. they're not necessarily said to have any, I, I, I don't know, I don't think they have any inherent like superpowers or anything, mystical but powers, yeah, mystical yeah. powers, but they've all done something that's slightly miraculous or mystical yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But those are mystical powers in a sense. Like, in a sense. Yeah, yeah. Or is it just tapping into the power of God, which in theory, anybody could tap into. Yeah, anybody can. Um, it's 100% true. So 
but do the gods the demigods do they have like mystical powers and do the demigods yeah they have mystical powers even uh, people who are not demigods can also have mystical powers yeah. What happens is that the platform of this, like the heavenly planets, is where the demigods kind of reside, and they have, they have. It's like in the mode of goodness. If you're in the mode of goodness, you go to the heavenly planets, right? And there you have like lots of enjoyments. You can enjoy lots of things. Everything's really nice up there. But it's different than what the spiritual world, because even the heavenly planets are still material, because you can still fall down and you can, and you still die. Technically, that's what it is. You're still born and you die. So if you got those. Those like, because um, you're not really free. People sometimes think, oh, I'm looking for freedom, stuff like this. And, or I have complete freedom. It's good. If you have money and you have choices, fantastic. But we don't choose to be born in the body we're born. We don't choose to die when we want to die. But there's not that much choice out there. But when you're in the spiritual world, there is 100% freedom there. There is, no there is no birth. There is no death. You're just eternal. Your soul is completely eternal in your original form, apparently. So that brings me on to reincarnation. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I imagine you you believe in reincarnation. What's your no understanding of reincarnation? So reincarnation is just like, uh, so it's the idea of how do you call it? So for example, you've got this body right now and uh, when you're, when you're a baby, well, let's say when you're five years old, do you remember what you look like a little bit? You kind of like, uh, yeah, like me. Seen pictures myself. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of like got a different type of body and we just kind of, we change bodies as we get different ages, different groups, you know, like, uh, as we get older and we start getting wrinkles. You know, so things change in our bodies on a constant level. Actually, even our like livers and hearts and lungs change completely. Yeah, I think that's probably better. Yeah. 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 yeah cool. So, and even now, how do you call it? Our like our livers, hearts, and everything. All that also changes. Um, with the molecules, I think all the molecules change, and your body every seven years or something like that. So we are in constantly change. So technically, um, a lot of times we think that when we die it just finishes and that is it but why is it why with our experience we have everything that's constantly changing and you know uh, transforming itself and when we die that just stops the logic just stops there and what we actually uh, believe is that actually the logic continues and you just change a different to a different body you know and so you can go to an animal body or you go to like a demigod body so does this consciousness um i think about this all the time yeah uh does this consciousness go to a sort of purgatory, like what's in Christianity is called purgatory? Yeah. Does it go there, for, like back to the spirit world and then come back down? Or does it latch on to something nearby? Because The reason I ask that is because there's some theories that, con and this is sort of what I think as well, like there's some theories that consciousness is another form of energy that we don't quite understand yet, or we don't understand at all yet. So... In the same way that our brain's neurons fire using elect uh, electricity, and that's effectively how we operate, the same as a machine, basically. Mm -hmm. um, but we understand the electricity, we understand how that works, we understand how our cells turn on and off, yeah. we understand that more or less. Um, and, you know, in the same way, you've got magnetism, you've got electromagnetism, all these different forces, energies. Um, is consciousness just another one of those? And it brings, there's theories which say that when you die your consciousness basically disperses as if it were a gas um, and then yeah. it latches on to things or people nearby so a, a way to conceptualize that pretty easily is that if and i was talking about this yesterday with my housemate actually like if say if we walked outside right now and there are 10 people on the street and someone got shot and killed 
that, their consciousness would then ping into the people nearby and it could cause real strong reactions in our body. You know, um, like if you think about it logically, seeing someone die shouldn't be more traumatic than hearing about someone dying because people die all the time happens all the time you know people are always getting killed people are dying in horrible ways and it doesn't have a huge impact on us but seeing that happen to someone it can totally mess your life up yeah. even if you don't know the person yeah. and it's like logically it doesn't make a huge amount of sense mm -hmm. but one of the theories is yeah it just it latches onto you and then part of their consciousness stays inside of you and just kind of like wreaks havoc for a while until it mm. gets processed so what are your thoughts on that? Where, where does consciousness, consciousness go when one dies? So what we believe is that you call it consciousness is an expression of the soul. So we have our senses, the eyes, the ears, and all this. This is, uh, this is the body. It's like you said, like the robot or like the car, like the airplane, whatever it is. These are like what? But the consciousness is within that. So when you die, the consciousness goes, right? But actually, we believe the soul is Satchitananda, which is how you call it. It's um, eternal, uh, knowledgeable, blissful, and it has a form. Also, so um, that's Digraha, sorry, it's actually that I make Digraha. So, um, yeah, when you die, what we say, what the most, the most simple way of kind of putting it, of understanding it, is kind of like you go with kind of what you, your actions, it's like karma, in a sense. Well, your actions, whatever actions you have, has a certain type of karmic reaction. Right, if it's good or bad, you get karmic reactions. Right, you can study this. There's books on like how karma works exactly, which is technically what you're kind of asking now is exactly how karma works. Like, where do you go? What happens when you do certain actions? What happens when you do certain things? Blah blah. Like, I haven't studied that 100, percent so I don't know exactly where, like, where you go according to things. But I do you do know a few things? Like, you know, obviously, if you live a very sinful life, then you're probably going to go down to the hellish pyramids. If you live a very good life you know of generosity and love and care you're probably more likely to go up to the like higher planets right and what we try to do is try to skip even those and actually go straight to serving god so what we try to do is just serve gods and love gods directly because when we do that we actually water the whole plants we you know we water the leaf because mm -hmm. it's not going to serve any purpose if you just water the leaf it might serve the leaf purpose but if you water the roots then often the whole tree actually gets nutrition so what we try to do is by serving gods, we actually serve, you know, humanity in itself. So we go back to God. That's where we want to be. That's where we're going to find blissfulness, you know. So in a way, we try to do that. And like, it depends on what you, I mean, there's a higher chance. I mean, the more you serve God, the more you think of God, the more you're going to go back to God. Um, but then after then, depending on your actions, there is like a program, like, you know, there's, there's the Yamaharajas, which is the ones who come and judge you, you know, where you're going to go. Those are the demigods. Because again, the demigods come into place. They're kind of more like administrators of God. You know, they kind of go, you do this, you do this, blah, blah. So, What um, would be called angels, I suppose, in Christianity? Yeah, angels. And, yeah, exactly. It's kind of the same thing, just different names. Um, so yeah, and there's different places and different situations that can happen to you um, according to your karma or to what you've been doing or to how you think of life and stuff like this. So, so yeah, it really depends on... Um, so this is what, actually the interesting part about this is there actually there is actually a science to it mm -hmm. you know there's a science of your karmic reactions so a lot of times they do talk about like if you've been very generous and you're very good and you're like this then in your next life you're way more you know you're likely to probably get you know in a body where you're going to just feel happy so what we what we do see is people who are generally and i've seen this like you see this generally just normally people who are just nice 
kind, good-hearted people and stuff like this. That it's not a challenge for them to be like It's that. not a challenge to be like this. Um, sometimes you see that's probably from their past lives or whatever, but you also know that, you know, you, you see they're just happier people. You know, they're happier people and stuff like this. And sometimes people are just born in the right family. You know, so we do talk about it. So you don't, you could be just born in the right family or you could be born, you don't choose that. So that's your karmic reactions from your past lives. Depends on what you've done in your past life and you're born. There's actually a really interesting story I heard recently about uh, a family of devotees who were uh, with a child that was um, uh, in a wheelchair and he had no legs, the child. But he was like really, they were like really dedicated to the Hare Krishna movement. They were serving, they were preaching. Uh, even the child was chanting Hare Krishna on his beat, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, 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 Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, 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 Hare Hare. And he was chanting all the time, and, but he had his face, like he was like, like this. He was always like really angry. But he's always there, you know what I mean? But he couldn't move. He was in his wheelchair, and it seems like he hated his parents, and they didn't understand. So this was in South America. So what they did is they got like, they got this guy who goes into regression past lives. And what they did is that they got the, fa- they, I think they brought the father underneath um, hypnosis because mm-hmm. they're going to see his past lives. So they bring him underneath. And what happens is they see that he's in, he's in charge of a farm and they have horses. And they have like, this one horse that's like doing really well and it's making a lot of money. So they really focus on this one horse and they're trying to make some cash. And they travel around the world. Well, not around the world, but around America. I think they saw a flag or something. And, and try to make this horse win. And the mother went on under hypnosis and she uh, what happened and she uh oh yeah she was like the one who was feeding the horse so she saw herself also feeding the horse and then after that they wanted to get the child but the child didn't want to or he's like he was like hectic about it and so he, okay he, he eventually said okay i'll do it and he goes but he doesn't go under hypnosis so they didn't get some like doctor's permissions or things like this to give him some i think cbd or something so then he goes under under hypnosis and then he goes to his past life and he comes back and he starts saying, yeah, I was the horse. You know, I was the horse in his family and they were taking me and I just, I just didn't want to run. I just didn't want to walk anymore because they really like fucked him up by, you know, injecting with some hormones or his legs so he could run more so they could make money. So he was born in this family. So you just, you know, and we have these different also like different situations that we encounter in this life that's going to help us to learn things that we haven't learned in our past lives, that we have to learn in this life. So sometimes you find yourself in a really hard situation or in a really hard family or something like that. It's technically one of those one of the reasons is because you've done something that you really need to learn about in this life mm-hmm. and try to sort that out now. You know, so it might be hard, it might be tricky, it might be painful, but you know, if you could just work on it, try to see how you can learn from the situation, try to improve. And then yeah, so Yeah, I think that karma is so interesting and it's also i think about this a lot as well and it's so for me it's easy to logically conceptualize because if you hurt someone and i don't mean necessarily physically if you hurt someone in any way even if you're not consciously aware of it you are still aware of it even if you don't your brain doesn't allow you to understand that you've hurt someone Mm -hmm. it still basically adds baggage you know that's what we call it just adding little bits of baggage on and like if you're living uh an unpleasant life and being unpleasant to other people that just builds up builds up builds up builds up and your ego will build up and up and up and up and up to protect you from all the shit you're doing so your ego will be telling you that you are great 
and everything's fine and you're great and then all this junk will be building up building up building up building up and it's it's a classic case or it's a classic thing that happens when people get too into drugs or alcohol or anything like that then they're just in general if you're taking too much of anything you're not pleasant mm. for the people that are closest to you you know you're selfish you're anxious paranoid all these different things uh maybe aggressive and it all just builds up and it builds up but until you can somehow get some consciousness if either by stopping those things or by breaking away or by a penny dropping or by therapy you can't start clearing away all this karma and it's something that i really noticed i think i we spoke about it before like i had a problem with drink and drugs and then throughout that whole time i just wasn't aware that i was a total prick like a lot of the time to my family and to like the people that i loved and all that but then when i stopped doing that i realized i was like oh my god and i had to basically just process all the things i had not processed for so long and then i was only i don't know like 20 it was like two years ago when i stopped everything you know so i was only like 26 and i was just thinking to myself what happens when people experience this when they're 40 50 60 and they've got 50 years of shit that they have to process and maybe like it took me i'm still processing stuff now two years later and if you've got an extra 20 30 40 years maybe it'll take you 10 years to process all the stuff like to go through everything and in alcoholics anonymous like they with the recovery step there one of them is it's called um inventorying inventorying i think um, where basically you try and write down every bad thing you've ever done that you can think of, everyone you've ever hurt, and then you reach out to the people if it's appropriate, you know, mm. like reach out to the people and say, like, I'm sorry for that, and try and make amends for it. Or if you mm -hmm. can't make amends, mm -hmm. or it's not a good idea to be dragging up the past with that person, mm -hmm. you just have to kind of process it. But then as I started processing all these things, it was literally 100% like weight was getting lifted off. Right, yeah. It was like my energy levels, my baseline energy levels were just increasing, increasing, yeah, increasing. Yeah, yeah. And just my ability to just move and do things was just increasing as I was processing this. And I was like, yeah, yeah. this is so, it's such a simple concept. That, yeah. And, and the, you know, the past lives and future lives and reincarnation, to me, it also kind of just, it makes sense. And learning things in this life, you know, people are put some people are put in really shit situations um but those people in my experience the ones that have had the hardest times end up being the best people and doing mm. the sickest stuff you know because they're like if they manage to break out of it mm. and recover they're just so strong mm. because they've had to deal with so much crazy stuff yeah, and yeah. had a really tough just shit thrown on them and i think it's like I, I i i don't believe or disbelieve in in multiple lives I, I would lean towards more believing in it but to me it's it's not important whether or not it is true but living as if it were true mm. is definitely a good idea i think and i like to think of us as like computer game characters where we're just leveling up we've got these list of skills which we can just put time into and level them up and maybe you're born amazing at communicating and controlling your emotions or maybe you're born really creative but really emotional and then you know your challenges figuring that out or maybe you're really physically strong but you're a bit slower at picking stuff up 
Do you know I mean everyone's got their own little niche yeah, and yeah. thing they're good at? And it's like just leveling these things up, and then exactly. when you die, I just I think it makes sense for us to be sort of recycled in some way and pass through another stage of that. Because when you think otherwise, it would have to mean that new consciousness would have to be continually produced as opposed to being recycled from consciousness that's already there from a big bang that's been exploded out where in theory everything that ever if the big bang is how it happened then in theory everything that is now was always there mm -hmm. which means that new consciousness can't be being created it has to be being recycled exactly. or changed from something into consciousness you know like changed from a stone into consciousness like that's a stupid example but it has to be being trans it, it can't be created or destroyed that's the the fundamental law of energy cannot create it cannot destroy it exactly. it can only be transferred exactly. so to me thinking of that yeah maybe it is that and i, yeah, I yeah. also like thinking that the the space what yeah. we see in space you know like what we call dark matter um and just space that's in a vacuum i like to think of that as like a hard drive where that's where we go for a little bit and then maybe we get recycled like consciousness it kind of goes up there and all the memories and all the experiences like all the records of everything that's ever happened is just floating about up there that could be accessed at some point um but i just i think it's so exciting i do think that within probably within one century we will be able to transfer consciousness from you know like your body into another body or a robot body i reckon that we'll be able to manipulate and move it within 100 years yeah i mean the yogis can do that already they can um i mean there's like um i think even Sadhguru speaks about this speaks about how you could literally control your life force so much that you're able to control where your soul is going to go and which body it could go into next um which is interesting in a sense you know like but what happens is that we try not to like as a higher Krishnas, we try not to like deal too much with these kind of things of like where the body's gonna go and stuff like this what we try to do is just trying to go like just try to you know like like go back to godhead in a sense that's kind of like the final goal in a sense and the way to get there is like eight processes nine processes you know one's praying chanting hearing speaking and service um, service exactly so there's like those are sort of the processes that we just kind of try to focus on that sometimes and not so much on like how do you call it how where we where can we put the how do you call it where can the soul go where can what mystical powers can i get so like this so it's more just practical what can i definitely exactly. do which what is can definitely, definitely going to improve is, my life exactly which is going to help me eternally really because a lot of those things what happens is that if you go back and even if you let's say for example as a buddhist they get back into the effulgence of God, which is the into Brahma. Right? So Brahma would be the energy of God, which is kind of like abstract. You don't know exactly what it is. It's like the effulgence. It's like the sun. You have the sun globe and you have the, the sun rays. It's kind of like the sun rays, you know, like the gas you were talking about before with the gas. And you can go back into God and that. But then what happens when material nature is created again after the whole destruction of everything, then those souls, those souls will go back into the material world and continues during this long process of birth and death, old age, disease, birth, death, old age, disease, and continues during this, this process. So you want to kind of break that cycle 100% and go straight back to the spiritual world. 
where there you will not get to fall back into the spiritual world i mean to the material world you will not experience any of those birth death sufferings or anything like that at all so the material world is almost like a punishment in a no, sense punishment no, no is the wrong word but th from what you're making it sound like you know the spirit world is pure and amazing and blissful eternal could be what we would call heaven yeah. you know and the material world which mm. we are in is pain suffering growth mm. of course there's plenty of happiness but yeah. it's a lot of life is suffering um yeah. and the more you suffer the more you grow basically exactly. but it's it's almost like the material world is hell yeah, yeah, yeah and i suppose that if you're thinking of traditional christian uh religion and it talks about heaven and hell and if you're good you go to heaven so that's basically what you're saying if you're good then you go up to heaven and you can live in the spirit world if you're bad you go to hell yeah. maybe that could mean that you're recycled back into hell which is where we are now because it's hell compared to what it would be in heaven yeah but also like what we what we we talk about is like three levels there's like um there's the spiritual world uh which is with with back with godhead and then there's the heavenly planets uh, which is above us and there's the earth which is in the middle which we're in the marginal um, place and then there's the hellish planets which are below us okay so when you're saying planets are you referring to the actual planets that we see or are yeah. these okay yeah so which are the the good <laughs> ones and which are the bad ones i don't know exactly like if you read the Srimad bhagavatam which is a nice book on how do you call it on the creation on the stories that happens in relation with gods uh, but it gives it gives you the whole explanation of the creation the explanation of um different types of planets where they are the names of those planets um but they are the 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 seven planets that main planets that we recognize are the same different names but the same actual planets we I recognize so, yeah. I, I know one of them is like the polar star is, is, is a star even i think even the moon yeah yeah so there's those planets there's you know there's some of we can't see them because some things is, some entities you can't see like for example ghosts and things like this you can't really see them but they might be there you know what i mean it's kind of the same thing when it comes down to how do you call it these uh planets you think you see them but you don't or you might not even you might even think you, you don't see them technically but there's actually people there that's what the stream of bhagavatam talks about and to be honest i haven't read that book i listen to a few classes every now and then but what we do is when we listen to the classic we go from one verse and there's an explanation we listen to that but the bag of the geese is like just beforehand so we read about the bag of the geese way before and that gives us the instructions of what the soul is what the soul is not all the instructions of how to become you know like you said there's like there's a lot of happiness suffering in this world uh, how to break away from that where you go into blissfulness or into peace so even if you're going to be happy you know like when you're ecstatic and you're walking around you're like, oh my God, you know that later on you might going to feel kind of maybe a bit exhausted like when you take drugs you know when mm -hmm. you take like mdma you feel like super happy but then three days later you got the drop you know the down so you know it's a bit like that sometimes so yeah so that's the how do you call it that's the bag of geese which is really interesting but then the stream of bag of a time gives you all the explanations of different planets stuff like this like but i don't read it that much i read some parts but i've never read the whole creation part because the Bhagavad Gita, that's um, that's the Hindu Bible, effectively, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. So that, as far as I understand, as well, it's something that I, it's why I think the Indian, um, like spirituality is so interesting because it comes from, from my understanding, it comes, it stems from the Vedic script, the Vedic scriptures, which were 
written approximately they think i think it's about five thousand years ago and you've got all these scrolls which one person would not be able to read them all in a whole lifetime of reading which is crazy and one of the things i started studying ayurveda for a bit so ayurveda means science of life um and it's basically how to eat in how to eat foods that are good for you specifically so you try and figure out your dosha which is your kind of food orientation it's based on it's based on the concepts of the elements so earth air earth air water fire and ether and the combination of those that you have in your body which foods will be good for you exactly. which kind of heat you up which cool you down exactly. which will speed up your digestion which will not and obviously we are all different so we shouldn't really be eating the same things mm -hmm. but what i just think is amazing is that the vedic scriptures they they bring up the the five elements so earth air water fire ether is what we call them in english but they say that everything in the entire world is made up of those five elements so five particles let's call them western science thought that the atom was the smallest um particle up until the last century i can't remember what date but then they found five particles smaller than an atom and this is exactly what they said five thousand years ago in the vedic scriptures <laughs> yeah. they called them different things you know and we're like oh earth, earth air water fire and ether like that's so stupid yeah. but then when you actually start thinking about it, it's like wait a minute it kind of makes sense it makes yeah. just makes total sense and they talk about what you mentioned before about how we're not in an age where we can access these high levels of kundalini or energy or spirit whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. and i 100 percent agree with that i 100 percent believe that we have devolved as yeah. technology increases humans devolve yeah. dramatically in yeah. terms of in terms of understanding about the elements the body the mm. mind you, lose, you know you lose touch with reality like with total reality and they the the vedic scriptures talk about the body and internal processes in such depth that Western medicine is only starting to ex re-explain these things now. Right. And I think, like, this is obviously just a theory with absolutely no evidence, but I think that they had such a powerful level of meditation that they could basically see what's going on inside their body. They could be like, hmm, this, my, my liver feels yeah. a bit weird today. Yeah. And they could kind of feel really strongly what was going on. And I've had one two small glimpses of how that might have been possible like i meditated for about a year with basically zero i don't want to say results because it's the wrong word but results basically i noticed no benefit hated every minute of it um and then i just remember one time i then got into the body scan meditations which i still go through that which seven yeah. years later <laughs> but like i then i started getting into the body scan meditations which i way preferred because instead yeah. of like focus on your breath it's like focus on your right toe focus on your foot focus on your ankle right. and it's like for me it was so much more accessible to do that uh like the first thing i ever did was fo focus on your heart and then i certainly was able to feel my heartbeat and i was like mm. oh my god and i was like you know trying to slow it down and speed it up and i don't know if i was but then there was one time where it was, it was saying, focus on your, the right hemisphere of your brain. So it's like focusing on that lying there, you know, having that nice kind of like warm little fuzzy glow you get from the meditations. And then I just felt this like, it was as if a, it was as if a switch just flipped and the whole right hand side of my body just went vroomf. 
filled with energy and mm. it was like there was it was like someone just opened a tap of blood into that whole side of my body and i was like whoa i was like this is crazy and I tried to do it loads of times after that, and it never happened again. Dude, that happened to me. Same thing when it happened to me. When like, in Buddhism, they talk about this. So, like in Vipassana, there's a exact technique. You go through the sensations of your body. You go from the top of your head and you go down. And you just scan your body from head to toe, from head to toe. And what happens? You're supposed to be equanimous through all of that. So what happens is equanimous. that equanimous. What's that mean? Equanimous is when you're like neither trying to get um, or trying to be attached to those like pleasurable things. Or try to avert yourself from like um trying to like evade certain like suffering feelings you know like i don't want this suffering that's kind of like going i don't want it you know or when you want something pleasurable like food or something like, oh this tastes good sugar like give me this you know so those are like in the middle this is like in the middle being equanimous yeah. so you're just like equipoised you're just kind yeah. of just, allowing just, just exactly letting. Just letting it be allowing exactly in that state and i remember like when i was meditating i used to go through a lot of suffering like you do you know and i still go through a lot of suffering you know and sometimes I just don't even want to meditate. Or when I meditate, I'm thinking about getting out of there. I'm just, when am I going to leave? You know, so you're going through all these, like, you know, anxious, you know, feelings, stress sometimes. Or if you go through a hard situation, you just feel angry or whatever. Or your pain hurts or your body hurts. And you're suffering in that, like, physical form. So, yeah, I remember one time something happened to me where I started feeling like just this wave of pleasure coming through my body. And I was like, <gasps> Like this is it. Yes. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And it's literally. I remember like the moment I thought about it, just thinking about, oh yes, I want this. It went, uh, and it just disappeared. And it was. I remember thinking to myself like, I was not able to control it because even by the time I thought it, it was already gone. Mm. It was like I just. It was just too slow. It was like this before the thoughts even happened. I don't even know what that place is called, but it was before they even happened. It was just gone. It was like it was impossible for me to. So you really have to be like equanimous through those situations, you know, just try to be balanced as much as you can and stuff like that. So but that's the meditative thing. But I really like the Ayurveda stuff because um, as Hare Krishnas, we do study the Ayurveda ourselves also. Uh, okay. We do a lot of Ayurveda because obviously we study the Vedas. But what we do is we study the Vedas of, so the Ayurveda is like, as you said, what was it? Science, science of, of life. Science of life, exactly. Science of life. So it's a lot to do with health. Because Veda, I, Veda means science. Yeah. And Ayur means life. Exactly. So like the Vedic scriptures are them recording exactly. their understanding of science. Exactly. And as I understand it as well, yoga, meditation, Ayurveda, which relates a lot to food, they all come from these Vedic scriptures. That's right. And it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the, it's crazy. It's, everything is, what well, we, we study is technically the Vedic scriptures. Right? We just study a few parts of it. We don't technically we don't study even Ayurveda, but because obviously we you know we we complement our lifestyle. So the Bhagavad Gita is in the Ayurveda. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's in the Vedas. Um, I mean, there's a whole bunch of the Shri Bhagavatam is in the Vedas. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff that are in the Vedas is what we study um, about Krishna being supreme personality, which is in there. Uh, Ayurveda is really interesting. Um, if you see this watch over here, these bracelets is from my from my Ayurvedic doctor. He said, like, these are the planets that kind of, like, he did numerology for me, which I never did before in my life, but I was like, whatever. Numerology said, is cool. Huh? Numerolo numerology is cool. It's cool, yeah, yeah. And he told me, like, I need to put some crystals on, I need to have gold on me, because they kind of balance out some of my plants and things like this, and things that are missing within my num numbers, like stability and things like this, and maybe this, maybe this brings stability to my life. I don't know. So, yeah, I love, I love Ayurveda, and um, I got a doctor here in Barcelona, uh, but, yeah, and he's kind of like my kind of, like, guru, like my... 
my doctor guru. What's your date of birth? Uh, the 3rd of January, 1987. Oh, you're master number 11. Same uh, as me. I what? You're master number 11. You're the exact same as me. Oh, yeah? How do you call it? The... I think this year is our year, apparently. I'm not sure about that. Mm. The, the, the main thing that I know is that... So what I just did there is you add up all the numbers in your date of birth. So for mm. you, it'd be 1319... You say eight seven, mm -hmm. yeah. So four fourteen, twenty nine. Mm -hmm. Then you add up the two and the nine, it makes eleven. Mm -hmm. And so eleven is a master number because you add up eleven and it makes two. So it's like they call it eleven two. Mm -hmm. Um, and you have two numbers. So the master numbers are supposed to have a tougher time in in the beginning, but then they go on to lead. Um, and then each number has a different like um like a number one is a leader as well uh number two is about balance and i can't remember all of them off the top of my heart but, uh, top of my head but like you're finding out your master number tells you your role in life um that's pretty cool yeah, yeah yeah he told me a whole bunch of stuff like that you know but it's interesting that you said that about how do you call it that you have to go through very hards but then you end up leading stuff like this where i definitely feel like in my life like now i've just I did some meditation classes before, but like on Saturdays now, I do this, um, so there's a yoga, some yoga friends of mine, we've like joined forces and they do a yoga class and then I come in at the end and I do a 15, 20 minute meditation. Um, we do mantra meditation, so we do the vibrational sounds, which is also really nice because you don't have to be sitting in one position, you can be standing, walking, um, just by saying the vibration within itself and then the, like the power of the vibration. If I say to you like, oh, you're so beautiful. You know what I mean? That gives you a smile, gives you something when, you know, something happens to you. So we just, words have an effect on us. So mantras also have an effect on us. Actually, before, mantra could actually heal the body in certain just Ayurvedic ways to just tell you a mantra and boom, you just like... But like nowadays, it might be harder to do that. But, but if, if we were... If we weren't eating shit and doing stupid stuff and taking stuff and we were focusing on ourselves, hmm. we probably would be receptive to those healings. Like... For example, I've heard that um, cats, the reason why cats were so um, revered was because their meows and their purring, the vibrations of that was healing. Oh, so that's cool. why Egyptians loved cats so much because oh. that purr is so calming to us. You know, having a oh. cat on your lap purring at you is so calming, mm. so relaxing. Um, so it's really, it's really interesting with the thing about vibrations and mm. there's like a few things i've learned recently about vibrations like everything everything vibrates and has its own frequency so a static thing a stone a wall a person and everybody you know we talk about liking that person's vibe that person's got a good vibe and that mm. person's vibe vibration might literally match your vibration and then it's like oh cool yeah. this person's bouncing at the same pace as me but then there's been a few pretty cool experiments and new research and science which is exploring the use of vibration now so one thing is that if you if you get a wine glass like that right and you start making it go beep like that by rubbing it around the rim and then you get a tuning fork which has the same pitch as it and you hit the tuning fork the the wine glass will smash so if it matches the frequency it will amplify that frequency more and more and more and more and more and it will smash and there's this, there's this bridge as well 
and it's called like the vibrating bridge or something like that i can't remember where it was but the bridge has its own frequency that it vibrates at uh and then for whatever reason the wind was hitting that bridge at, at the same frequency the bridge this massive like proper car carrying bridge you can see it on video it just starts basically just twisting like this and just explodes basically just falls into the thing and now scientists based on that and the understanding of vibration and how you can amplify something to the point of breaking it now what they've done is they've been using harmonics which is basically um doubling the frequency of something so say something's off, like vibrating at a thousand hertz the harmonic of that would be two thousand hertz um and what they've done is they basically they were trying to destroy cells specifically cancer cells and um they just tried literally they spent years trying all the different frequencies and combination of frequencies they could and they found i think it was eleven thousand hertz at the 13th and the 13th harmonic of that so it'd be like eleven thousand and then like 143 or something thousand hertz i think it was that and they basically played these two frequencies together and destroyed cancer cells because they matched the vibration of these cells and just killed them sure. and i think again that older civilizations had really strong understanding of these type of technologies oh, yeah, that we've just left behind yeah, yeah. like for example there's there's theories that in ancient greece and ancient egypt they they have big just giant poles sticking up and even now you know we have columns places that are just big poles and originally they would have been made out of metal with certain alloys and and different metals inside of them which would have caused the vibration and some theories say that they were trying to vibrate these things at a certain frequency to basically calm or make people happy around in the area because it's constantly just like emitting this frequency mm. and nowadays you know you go on youtube and you type in meditation it'll be like four three two hertz uh positivity meditation oh, yeah, like yeah, one yeah, three yeah. two um, sleep meditation or whatever it is and all these different things and now it's one of those things that if you tell someone it they're like oh that sounds like mumbo jumbo voodoo but then you're like wait a minute like this is already happening why are these people just this there's something there obviously something there yeah. i think it's so cool it's actually really really interesting actually what you're talking about yeah how the vibrations and stuff like that yeah yeah actually if you know if you read the um, the mahabharats the mahabharats so what we've got sometimes you've got to realize well, what I try, you know, even myself, like, you know, you first realize that even within these sometimes stories of like the Mahabharat or the Srimad Bhagavatam, sometimes they might sound like fictional or like on things that never actually happened. But these are actually stories that actually did happen. You know, these are actually scientific. You can actually see some parts that were written in these books that was st are still present in India in those places that were there, you know, and some parts of the histories, what they claim in these books are 100% like evidential even today. And one of the nice things, one of the cool things is that in the Mahabharats, where you read, it's like super epic. It's like battles on the constant level. It's like amazing. And one of the things there is that they used to like create huge weapons um, just by a, a mantra. They used to have, and they actually, even by, they, they, they even had the atomic, um, the atomic energy back then. And they used to have it by creating a mantra and boom, and they just could like create these huge atomic things. Nowadays, obviously you spoke about this a bit before, was that, now we're living in the age of Kali Yuga. So there's different types of Yugas. So there's Satya Yuga, and then um, 
Boba Tegan, Dibi Tegan, Dibi Tegan, Yuga. <laughs> so there's all these different stuff. But now we're in the age Kali Yuga, which is the age of like quarrel and distress. So what happens is we're kind of going, well, that's what you say, we're kind of going downhill in this kind of age. And it's going to last for like millions of years still. I don't know how many millions of years, but it's still going to be lasting for millions and millions and millions of years. But it's going to get worse. Because we see intelligence goes down, you know, um, lifespan is going to go down. Um, technology as it increases also we become like more stupid but when memory goes down a whole bunch of stuff but yeah so that's also happening in this age that's happening we also like even like if, for example like we reinvented like how do you call it the atomic mm-hmm. uh, bomb but what did we use it for we use it to actually kill and cause a whole bunch of damage to innocent people whereas back in the day the ones who could use those they were using it for the good you know they were just trying to use it to kill those demons mm-hmm. you know and that is it you know, and so it's just like you know, it's shit how time has changed. But uh, but yeah. But I think that they've um, I've heard recently that now they're experimenting with using sound to actually weaponizing sound, but also using sound to put out fires, which is pretty crazy. Pretty like crazy, just yeah. effectively sending some vibration again, some frequency, and that, to yeah. just. Yeah, destroy yeah. the fire somehow which is pretty cool yeah it's pretty cool yeah. but pretty scary because then you could just take this machine and just start blasting it at people exactly, um, yeah. and then just like absolutely obliterate that's people right. with sound i think this i think that technology has been around being been developed for quite a while mm. but i've heard things before about uh india having atomic technology before and ha- having found remnants of like what they think was atomic explosions back in india and did india have the atomic weapon like however many thousands of years ago maybe no exactly maybe. so how do you call it the um um one second i have that on my head i'm getting a bit distracted by the noise outside the what was it you're saying about the atomic india having the atomic bomb yeah there's something else you said beforehand that was interesting as well sound Sound, vibration. sound putting out fire vibration oh yeah this is it so what happens is that it's really like we talk about this a lot is how like what type of leaders do we have nowadays like if you really see the type of leaders we have nowadays it's really 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 bad it's people with no good qualities no like moral conduct and what happens these people are actually in the leadership roles so people follow those people and this is really crap um should we tell those guys that we're doing a podcast? Just because um, they're like moving chairs and shit. It might be bad sound or. I don't think it picks up the sound on here. Doesn't. Oh, okay, cool. No, no, no I don't think so. so. anyway, so like, yeah. So there's one of the things that we do try to like um, propagate is try to become, you know, a civilized person, a person with good qualities, with morals, with codes, um, especially if you are in a position of power, especially if you're a teacher. If you're a mother, if you're a father, um, if you're a, a government agent or whatever it is, um, so you're in a position of power. Because now you see it nowadays, just like how people are in this position of powers and they just don't know, they have no basis of being like good quality people. And they just use all this and they use it for the bad. They don't know how to do it. Or even just like, just like being faithful, for example. You know, you see all these... Um, people who are in you know powerful positions who just don't know how to control their sex you know or people who are um you know just like bad to other people or people who are just 
And what we try to do is try to change that, in a sense. Um, the Hare Krishna actually is a preaching movement. It's a movement of preaching, the Hare Krishna movement all around the world. And um, trying to actually bring back um, uh, God consciousness um, to humanity. Because that is where um, we, we believe is that once you go... I mean, you can find good morals anyway. You don't have to be God conscious to have to be a good person. It's not like you have to. But when you do try to establish yourself in a, like, with morals, with codes, um, certain understandings, you really just you elevate yourself up so quickly. So, for example, just with empathy. So, if you want to develop, like, empathy and compassion, um, it's going to be very hard for you to develop those qualities if you eat meat. And one of the reasons why is because... Um, ahimsa means not violent so you go to like the the, the 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 gross and to the subtle the gross would be where when you kill obviously if you're the person who's killing then obviously you're going to get big karmic reactions but your compassion and your you know your love and compassion for other people is going to diminish because you're in this like a uh, place of you know killing and hurt and pains so it's going to be very hard for you to have compassion and um, and empathy for other people but if you become a vegetarian, for example, um, you start to work on the qualities of non-violence. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're not entering into the cycle of um, killing. Um, even though, okay, let's say you're non-vegetarian, but you don't kill the animal, but you're still kind of within that cycle. And also whatever, you know, you've got to remember that there's consciousness within, I mean, there's at least energy within what we eat. So if when we eat those, um, those animals who are um, being killed, things like this, then that also type of like energy also comes into us we it's not just not just if they've been killed it's like if they've grown up in cages okay and so, so do you know i mean like it's like exactly. i think it's totally i think it's totally different and it's you know a, a real in some ways i actually respect it when people go out to it doesn't really exist so much in in these countries but you know in places like america where they go out to these big wildlife retreats and they go and they shoot a deer or whatever like that because number mm. one that's hard yeah. it's, it's genuinely really hard to track and shoot and kill a deer yeah. um but number two you're at least pulling the trigger yeah. you're at least dragging it and probably you're going to be using as much of that as you possibly can and that deer will not know what's hit it yeah. it will hopefully die pretty quickly yeah. so it won't have these negative traumatic experiences inside them yeah. but i totally like i went vegan about two years ago um, and I, last time we spoke, I told you I was, I was struggling a little bit with it at the moment. Mm. I haven't slipped up. You haven't slipped up? I haven't slipped up. Like, but I, I've just been re like just having an internal struggle with it. Mm. But have, the, a, have a cigarette. Smoke <laughs> <laughs> crack. Smoke um, crack. Just don't kill animals, bro. But the, the, the compassion thing, I totally understand because when I stopped eating meat, it, for me, it started with not wanting to even waste food, like mm. throw away these grapes. And I, I can explain that story another time but um <laughs> then i was like wait a minute if i'm not going to waste grapes and I'm, I'm concerned about wasting food uh how am i going to be then ordering a fucking lamb curry mm. like that doesn't make sense and it's been playing on my mind and then i stopped that and then i was like um i'd stopped eating meat but i carried on with the milk and cheese and all that stuff for a while and then i was like this makes absolutely no sense like there's there's just no way mm. that you can ethically there's no way that you can ethically take eggs yeah maybe eggs you can in theory in theory, in theory yeah, yeah. ethically take an egg yeah, yeah, yeah. but milk you cannot ethically take that mm. um cheese 
can't ethically do that. Yeah, yeah. No way. So I was like, this, this, it wasn't good enough for me. But then you start, you do start. Actually, the Hare Krishnas have like, uh, we have farms, which are non-violent farms. So which means that even once the cow gives out milk, um, actually they give out milk even before they have calves. But if they give out even the milk, first is always the milk goes to the calf always. But then after that, we don't kill the animals. And there's no male like treatment of the animals, of the cows. So we have like the biggest cow protection in the world um, to give us like, you know, some milk that we can use for like, for example, for but, drinking. Or, that's like, we're the only ones, we're the only ones to do that. Yeah. There's no money in it. There's no money. And also, the, the, what a lot of people don't realize is that obviously cows only produce milk when they are either pregnant no, or no, no. have recently calved. No, no, no. Really? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I've seen it with my own eyes. And I know about it because we are like we are the biggest cow protection in the world in time because we love cats because Krishna love cats, so we like the cow lovers if you want to call us. And uh, how do you call it? And uh, we actually have a cow who's actually I don't remember her name exactly, but we have ten cows in the farm down here in, in close to Madrid, and one of them has never given birth and she gives plenty of milk. She's never given birth, and also we have calves that have just also been born and with I think I don't know what age they give they start giving milk, but they give milk even before they can even have babies. So they actually give them So the cows food. produce milk? Yeah, constantly. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I it's, thought it was like humans. No, 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 no. Yeah, it's totally... It's one of the misconceptions of like uh, one of the vegan like philosophy which is completely um, not based um, on fact at all. Like uh, The one that we, we do accept, and this is why a lot of Hare Krishnas are also vegans, is because it's on the suffering of the animals mm. um, to take the milk and also at the end by killing the cow. Um, so yeah, and actually if you... And sometimes the cows don't give milk if they're really badly treated. So if they feel fear and scared, they're very sensitive animals. So if you if they feel fear or if they feel uncomfortable, stuff like this, they also don't produce milk. But if they have a calf, they'll produce milk. But even it'll be under stressful conditions. But in but, the farms we have, we have cows giving milk constantly. But they must be specific types of cows. No, no, no. Yeah, because like my family's got cows in Ireland. They mm. always have. And none of the cows get milked. None of them. None of them. But why don't they milk them? Because they they raise them for, um, they raise them for slaughter. They raise them and then they then they birth mm. them. But I think it's only milking cows. Because mm. my understanding was that once a cow gets pregnant, then it's the same as human. Then they start lactating, and then you can keep them lactating forever. Mm. But you, if you stop milking them, then they'll stop producing milk. Yeah, maybe that's that. Also, maybe that might. So I don't think the cows. I don't think. I don't. I don't think mammals just produce milk randomly. I don't know if it's like a random thing, but if you milk it, they will give you. It will give you milk. That's a hundred percent sure. Like I've I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen it and I've experienced it and I've spoken to hundreds of people who know exactly about this. Well, especially like especially in our farms, because our farms we have cow protection farms. So they are himsa. They are himsa. How do you call it? There are himsa uh, um, farms, which is where it's non-violent towards the cows in a situation. And there you you could drink the nicest milk you can ever drink in the world. It's absolutely delicious. Mm. And it's so nice. And it's like, you just, because the cows there are, are hugged, they're decorated, they're looked after, you know, so they, they feel happy. You know, so apparently when they feel happy and they feel comfortable, they give milk freely. Well, I didn't know that. I'll, I'll double check that. I didn't know yeah, that. Check it out. Yeah, check it but because um, I always, I also was always confused about. I know that in India, cows are um, 
like love they're kind of like holy exactly. animals holy animals exactly and i also thought how do they because obviously india's got loads of people and there's absolutely no way you could be providing milk ethically to those people so i thought how do they get around that in their own conscience mm. by i'd never looked into it but i imagine they must have to factory farm them the same way that the rest of the world does yeah, like or, yeah or i think i think they, like india's going towards that a lot more until animal slaughtering into cow slaughtering now so that is a problem that the Hare Krishnas are trying to deal with um but like the milking i mean like how are they because to produce enough to produce milk for so many people they they must have to be kind of robotically milking and all those type of things or yeah, yeah. maybe they do hand milk them i don't know i just i don't know, I don't know there's a lot of people it. in india so. but like yeah that's what i mean it's like but then <laughs> with the with the compassion thing it, that also does just make total sense because then when you start thinking hmm, i don't want to kill this animal then it's like wait a minute how can i be doing any harm to a person when i'm fussed about a exactly. chicken exactly so actually if you go to the subtle parts of uh ahimsa or vegetarianism the the principle of vegetarianism um which is uh, non-violence you go into also like speaking good words so when you speak nicely if you put anybody under distress under anxiety because it's very easy sometimes to put somebody under anxiety for some stupid thing you're like hurry the fuck up because blah 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 or, or do this because of... and technically you don't really give a shit about it yourself you just stressed out yourself and you're just putting this on somebody else you know and you do that kind of stuff that's putting the stress and anxiety on somebody else that is also within itself um how do you call it ahimsa and the non-vegetarian the idea of this so the more subtle mm. you know like landscape of it but it's still there like so so that's why the principles are very important that's why we have the four principles of like no how do you call it um no meat eating mm-hmm. um no uh, intoxications um uh, gambling no gambling and then no illicit sex which is the hardest <laughs> the more uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sex before marriage technically. so how are you doing on those four um what's the word for them uh, principles 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 yeah, principles, yeah, yeah. So how are you, how how are you doing on those four? Me personally, like uh, I've recently fell in the smoking and uh, smoke intoxication one. Like uh, I've been drinking a little bit. I've been smoking and yeah, I think like last month was like a really intense month. Um, just like spiritually, I think the parents were in a certain position, and every year there's like a spiritual month, and it was there, and I was going through intensity and. So I feel like I had to kind of like let go on some principle, like, because I'm holding on to like the illicit sex. Mm-hmm. Like I'm holding on to that one, which is the no sex before marriage. Because uh, to be honest, like not having sex feels amazing. Man. <laughs> well, having sex feels amazing too. But like not having sex, you get this like energy and you're holding your, your semen and stuff like this. And it's just like, for men, it's like absolutely powerful. And your consciousness also changed, you know? Because it's really, what's really nice is that you start to see women as... Uh, like friends you know and yeah and you don't really see them as a sexual object anymore you know and you, sex kind of goes out the window a lot more so you really start to develop like really nice friendships with so many different people um, with women and men which is really really nice and and I really believe like for me if I want to find like somebody in the future I really want to be holding up on the whole like um, sex situation and just waiting and just developing, at least trying to focus on something else. I think sex is important within a relationship, but I just want to focus on something else than sex mm-hmm. um, for the moment, because I think that if we have too much sex with too many people, 
and sometimes the, maybe the relationship can be a bit um what's it called um it can hinder the relationship a little bit if there's too much sex in it so well it's letting it's letting lust take over isn't exactly, it and lust, lust is not over. it's exactly. one of the seven deadly sins yeah yeah so, so i suppose that it's yeah, not yeah. like if, if it's sex expressed if it's love expressed through sex fine mm -hmm. but if it's not exactly. then really exactly. you're not doing anyone any favors including exactly. yourself exactly. so how long have you um like what do you think you were especially promiscuous before yeah Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah i still i still like i think my biggest addiction is women okay that would i i definitely put this on my i don't really talk about this too much like but like definitely i think like my biggest addiction, i love just women i mean, I, I and the funny thing is all my friends are all like bisexual and like super open like sexually and stuff like this and i'm hanging out with them all the time but technically i could i mean it's nice to have free love you know, or polyamorous love and all this kind of stuff. It's nice, but I just, like, for me personally, I just love, like, women. <laughs> I love women. Like, if there's a woman around, I'm just like, I want to talk to you. <laughs> you know, maybe I was a woman in my past life. Like, so I love being around women. So it's one of my so, nice things. Yeah. Do you think then that out of those four, you know, a lot of people would, I suppose, would go straight for the intoxic, if they were going to be, like, real strict, would probably go straight for the intoxication one. Do you think that you've gone extra strict on the, well, 100% strict on the sex one because for you that was your biggest kind of yeah. crutch? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like, I haven't really analyzed that too much as you just like it. It's a good analysis. Um, one of the most important ones is the vegetarianism. So that, that's an English, it kind of happened naturally anyway, so I was like, bingo, bango. Then you kind of stop the intoxications onto a certain level because it's like maybe a bit easier because the sexual pleasure that we get is the highest pleasure. They say it's one of the reasons why we are in this material world is based on passion, right? So the hellish planets is based on ignorance, uh, top planets is based on goodness, and these ones here are based on passion. So what happens sex is part of passion. So it's like, um, it's part of this, this world. It's one of the, the things that keeps us attached to the material world is sexual pleasure. Um, so yeah, so definitely like I want to... I want to be able. I was yeah. I was very addicted to women. I was I was also addicted to weed, but like women was definitely on my my biggest addiction. I have to say. So yeah, I suppose like like now I think I let go a little bit on the intoxication because I didn't want to let go on just like kind of just having sex because mm -hmm. I feel very happy just not like focusing on that right now. You know, but it's not like I don't. I mean, in the past four years, I've like controlled myself. Like I think I only had sex twice. No, I've had sex like a few more times, but like with two people um, over two, four years. Wow, that's pretty good going. So it's been something hard to control, so like this, but it's been like nice. But I, now I think it's like, I don't think it's something I could do is to like be a monk and just stay a monk and really dedicate myself like myself to um, living like the renounced life. Um, so what I want to do now is I want to move into this. We have different ashrams, so we have different places that you could be where you could stay spiritual but you don't have to be like a monk just to be like spiritual. Mm -hmm. You could also be a Grihashta, which is where we're, uh, so there's Brahmachari, which is the, the monk life technically, or the a student monk. And then there's the Grihashta, which is where you're a married couple, but you both also both practice spirituality. And then um, you live together, you can have family, all the normal things that, you know, um, uh, married couples can do. And then, then you go into like the renounced life where you become like a monk and you completely renounce the material life 
ማለት
and suddenly I just kind of like get with somebody and we're in love but then after maybe a year two years three years four years five years I don't know how many years you have probably desires to be with somebody else you know when you don't smoke for a long time you probably have it again mm. so yeah right now I've kind of started smoking again because I was like I need to loosen up I need to loosen up I need to regulate myself but not so like fanatically not so drastically so I kind of loosened up the tap a little bit and just like started to smoke a little bit which doesn't affect my consciousness too much but I know that one night stands will affect it a lot more yeah I think that with all of these you know like whether it is drugs alcohol not so much but like you know weed mushrooms LSD even ecstasy I think that if you can responsibly use them and you understand that it, even coffee like if you understand it's for a short amount of time I need this now for whatever you know maybe i need to drink a few coffees for a week exactly. or two weeks because i've got loads of shit and i need to get exactly. that done exactly. but then you have a rest period after that and you understand you, you use the you use the medication for what they really are yeah. and you understand it i think it's okay yeah it's yeah, just yeah. it's obviously it, if yeah. you're that's i think you can only really do that if you're in a very good place anyway yeah you know and you're like you're in a good exactly. place and you need a little tool yeah. a little nudge to, to help you along yeah, um totally. no, because a... they are amazing they are like drugs are amazing yeah. they are they are good <laughs> and like especially Johnny, the more drugs. like the more like, <laughs> i i'm a big believer in like they can help you to reset yeah. your brain if something's not quite ticking right yeah, yeah. i wouldn't do it again myself i don't think things like ecstasy or ketamine but mm. they can have mm-hmm. long lasting positive effects yeah, for certain especially people. like psychedelic effects psychedelic like, you know, like effect. um, what's it called um ayahuasca, ayahuasca. And all these kind of things like my friends um well i have one friend um he's a Hare krishna but he's also like a big propagator of like um psychedelics so he's he's a Hare krishna 100 percent. he believes in all the philosophy 100 percent. but he does psychedelics uh, on the side and he actually is a he's a therapist drama therapist in psychedelics okay. so when you take the psychedelics you kind of at the end he's there with you to kind of get back into that nice little process see i think that's something i think is so interesting that we're going to see in the next like five ten years because definitely it's like like it's, it's obviously it's happening kind of clandestine at the moment yeah, 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 and yeah. some places are legalizing yeah, yeah. it but it works 100 yeah, yeah. fucking percent it works yeah, yeah. you know if you give if you give a traumatized person ecstasy mushrooms lsd ketamine in a controlled environment and they are it will make them able to see their experience their traumatic experiences from an outsider's perspective you know and detach the feelings or even if they're trapped feelings they don't understand or or trapped experience they don't understand you can see that from an an outsider point of view and if you have a a trained person that can guide you through that and allow you to kind of tap into what that is and tap out and it's mm. all a controlled thing i just think it will it will allow people to move forward so much quicker and affect and yeah, ultimately yeah. as well cheaper because yeah, yeah. going through big long like um therapy sessions yeah, for yeah, years yeah. and years expensive true, true, expensive yeah. you know you can go to these type of places yeah. i mean not everyone can like fly to the amazon and yeah. do ayahuasca but yeah, yeah, yeah you know to go into like a little mushroom retreat in someone's yeah, house yeah, or whatever yeah. i don't know i'm obviously not recommending anything for anyone but it's just these these things exist yeah, yeah. and 
for certain people exactly, they yeah. certainly work yeah, and so. in my experience the people i know that have used psychedelics in the past or occasionally use them now again are some of the best people i know yeah, yeah, yeah. because yeah, like yeah. <laughs> it, it really does like yeah, yeah. there's certain drugs if you if you use them too much will make you yeah. not a nice person yeah. but psychedelics have not had that experience with anyone exactly, yeah, and it doesn't it seems to be unless people go way too hard on it but i don't even really know anyone that's done that because you can't no. and yeah probably not yeah and actually the funny thing is is that the Hare Krishna movement was actually um it was actually built on lsd takers mm. so it was the lsd takers in the 70s that were taking huge amounts of lsd the hippies were just trying to find a different way of life and then Srila Prabhupada which is like the founder guru who came to the West and it, they, they, the hippies just got super attracted to him. They loved him and they just like all became high Christians with him. And I just that, that's how the movement exploded um, since the 70s. Yeah. And it's been growing, growing throughout the world since that moment. Yeah. And it's technically based on psychedelics. <laughs> oh, so it stemmed from, <laughs> Stem from, stemmed the, from the summer of love. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we don't, we don't, we don't like preach um, drug taking at all. Like, but I was thinking about writing a book myself, which would be how to preach and take drugs at the same time. Florian's <laughs> <laughs> bag about the gates. Right? right? <laughs> It'll be the controversial book, like, or whatever. Like. No, so. but I've made, you know, I've made the choice to myself now to not use drugs. Yeah. You know, too. maybe I will. I maybe I would in, in the future. Yeah. You know, like, maybe if I'm 50, 60 or something and I go yeah. to a music festival and I'd yeah. like to take a pill or something, but for now my life is going really well yeah. and that's happened since i stopped taking drugs yeah, yeah and now i'm searching for pure real inner pleasure and yeah. harmony finding happiness that's in right. small little random stupid things and like enjoying an event without the need for anything that's or right, yeah. just that and it's really really hard yeah. and it's a really long slow process yeah. but I getting there. I'm making progress, making progress, making progress, and so I do. I did um, a little bit of microdosing mushrooms, mm -hmm. but that's effectively like taking vitamins because you don't feel it. You don't so it's like yeah. the reason why I'm doing that is I believe that it will heal some of the damage I've done from taking too many pills. Mm -hmm. You know, destroying my serotonin, mm -hmm. and I believe that it will heal that in the background. So I did like a month where I took. A microdose every three days yeah. um and i'll probably do that every so often now maybe i'll do small mushroom doses every so often yeah because i think that i think that they are positive mm -hmm. um but i don't i no longer have the need or the desire it's more like i'm taking multivitamins you know i'm taking certain things to help like regrow my joints and stuff like that and it, to me it's the same thing yeah, why yeah, would yeah. i not take something that can hopefully it'll either do nothing yeah, yeah. or it will have a positive effect and i yeah, don't know yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm trying that out now but then other than that as much as i would love to take some drugs yeah, yeah. i just that's my that's my thing no yeah i've been like i'm not i'm not even like to be honest like me personally i'm not even a big drinker you know i don't even i don't even feel the need to drink but suddenly recently i've been going through like these situations with like with people and trying to connect with people and I've noticed that everybody drinks a lot so I've taken a few shots here and a few shots there and a few like glasses of wine and then I've really like and one of the reasons why is actually to connect with people uh, and uh, on that level 
You know what I mean? Not on that level there, but like just to, to be friends with people eventually. Because mm-hmm. when you're so different all the time, then it's sometimes hard to be like really connect and make friends with people. You know, if you're like, oh, don't drink, don't smoke, don't do anything. And sometimes you kind of alienate yourself a little bit. You know, maybe not like, I'm not really a person alienated, but you know, you, you know, you want to connect because people drink. You know, like when we come to the comedy shows, for example, everybody's drinking. And there's not really a lot of people who don't drink or don't smoke. So in this world, especially the arts world, you know, there's people, a lot of people drinking and stuff like this. So, you know, association is important. We do talk about association. Your association, bonding. yeah. Alcohol certainly does make bonding easier. Yeah. It certainly does. Mm. You know, and if you could, if you could responsibly have one or two every so often, yeah. then again, that's something I think would be absolutely fine. Yeah. Me personally, the moment I drink alcohol, all I can think about is, is having more. And no. I will not stop until yeah. I pass out. And yeah. then I'll wake up and I'll do it again. That happens and with it's, cigarettes, dude. Yeah. I'm it's the same with cigarettes. Like, I, I have one cigarette and I'm just like constantly, like literally just one after the other one. After yeah, the yeah. That's the, it's the exact same. I've had, you know, I've had experience, like I used to be really addicted to shisha, like smoking a ton of nicotine. And I understand that pull from nicotine. Mm. But I would say for me, alcohol is stronger. The pull stronger, from alcohol yeah. is stronger. Yeah. And the, the feeling inside of like, I need more now yeah, yeah, is, yeah. is stronger for me than nicotine. Yeah. Um, but it's like, sometimes I get a bit, because I haven't drunk now for about five years, but I, sometimes I'm a bit, it makes me not, not sad, I suppose, but just a bit like, ugh, when it is, it is harder to let your guard down and to bond with people when everyone's drinking and it's yeah. new people. But then, like me and my girlfriend were talking about this yesterday, I think that it's a good thing. It's a good thing, like when you're in these uncomfortable situations mm-hmm. and you're learning to bond without alcohol, yeah. you're actually learning something. Because yeah. if you can, you can take some alcohol and you can just chat shit with people yeah, yeah. and bond with them, and that's fine. Yeah. But you're not really making connections because yeah, you're not yeah. talking about anything useful. You're not getting to know each other. Yeah. You're just kind of cracking jokes yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. or talking about stories in the past, which yeah, is what alcohol true. makes you do. But then yeah. it's like you're actually getting to the root of knowing someone and maybe you meet people and you don't bond with them and that's okay you know you you maybe you bounce a few conversations you know i don't really just don't click with this person and that's totally fine because it's like you can't click with everyone (laughs) and then occasionally you'll find someone who you can sit down and chat with and you know you love their company and then that's a real real friendship and a real bond and i feel i feel that I didn't start making what I would consider to be good bonds with people. My my bonds were always very one sided. Mm. Me chatting shit to people, <laughs> expecting them to listen, <laughs> and like very selfish way Jesus. of uh, <laughs> that's a very selfish way of like interacting. And I was yeah, totally yeah. unconscious of it. When I look back, I'm like, how do people part with me? I must have been so <laughs> fucking annoying, um, and like not not in tune with the other person and what they want and yeah. their feelings and how how i making them feel and all these things and mm. now i'm like you know i feel like i got to know my friends yeah so much more yeah, in yeah, such a yeah. tiny space of time from yeah, not drinking yeah, yeah definitely so it's like i don't know that the bond that's how i justify it to myself because i mean sometimes I i'm like oh i'd love to just be able to just be in bits of laughter I and know. chat shit and stuff and I i'm just know. like i'm gonna have to I know what you mean, i'm gonna yeah. have to find ways like play is one of the the best ways to get you know to, to find laughter and to find happiness and to act like a child is one of the 
the best ways to de-stress and to develop these bonding feelings you know when you're a kid you just roll about being an idiot and it's just Funny, you have to yeah. try and do that when you're an adult as well and yeah. i'm that's why i'm trying to find this now through i'm going to be starting uh the comedy improv you know because that's just a oh, way of cool. like doing stupid shit so much just fun, yeah. stupid stuff yeah, that's it liberates like, the mind so much. exactly and i'm like yeah. that is a healthy adult way to try and do some like yeah. bonding laughing you know weird stuff yeah. in a genuine way yeah. so i'm like just yeah. searching for these these um new little things to do basically yeah, how do you call it my friend from france and she says to me there's the expression no, i don't have any, i don't have an english the idle mind is the devil's workplace the devil makes work for idle hands that's what we say, I think. Yeah, so that if the mind is not occupied into something, mm -hmm. then it will, you know, do something that's not really good for it. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. So technically, yeah, it's really good to be able to put yourself and to put that energy into different places, do new things, meet new people in those kind of places, that's going to be much better for you. Which is, yeah, it's a bit tricky. I'm finding it a bit harder. <laughs> but anyway, I'll find a way to get back out. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay, I think we'll start wrapping it up here. We've been talking right, cool, for man. ages. Um, but what was i gonna say um oh yeah this is the quest for wisdom so cool quest for wisdom go quest for really wisdom cool. um so if you had words of wisdom for yourself when you were 15 and words of wisdom for other people who are you know listening to this maybe in their 20s and their 30s what would those words of wisdom be words of wisdom first of all to yourself first of all to myself when i was 15 yeah approximately 15 you know, like... of myself would be um would be to myself would be uh personally it would tell, it would be something along the lines of like find krishna quicker <laughs> find it quicker you know find him get there quicker because it took me a long time for me it feels mm -hmm. like a long time you know, I was a lot of like, you just not really, it's, technically it's just karma anyway. So you've got to get there when you has to get there. You can't really control it. But I have like more of a desire, you know, if you have a desire just to like, to try to be, you know, as much as spiritual as you can. You know, try to be spiritual in some ways because it really helps you a lot in life. So is that, so. is that your, is that for your wisdom to yourself or is that for the wisdom both of them combined? It, it, have to be, it has to be combined. It can't. It can't be. Can't be just one way. True. I can't be like yeah, just for me, and then for you guys, there's something else. <laughs> that would just be like yeah. So then yeah, so yeah, yeah, for everybody. Yeah. Good advice. Yeah, Good cool advice. Man. Find it, but yeah. find it as quick as possible. Yeah. Get there. Get there. Because yeah, I think there's. I think the spirituality has. It's misunderstood for mm -hmm. one, and it can have a bad name. Yeah. And then it also has the, the Instagram side where it's like throwing out random quotes all the yeah, time. Exactly. And it's like not practicing any of the, because ultimately I believe that you can reach states of bliss through many avenues. Mm -hmm. It could be through Hare Krishna. It could be through Christianity. Mm -hmm. It could be through Buddhism. Mm -hmm. It could be through, um, I think you can reach it without one of the like religious bases. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm not sure about that. Well, but Buddhism, it's like Buddhism. Buddhism but it is religious. still it's still following teachings, though, isn't it? That what I mean oh, is like okay, yeah, yeah, is yeah. without external. Uh, but but I think that you know 
the the fundamental concepts of these the things like prayer service meditation gratitude like all all of these the concepts they're all the same around them and it's like if you practice these things if you just feed into Mm. these different things you're gonna have a nicer life yeah and people around you are gonna be exactly happier yeah yeah and you'll be so much happier with you'll be so much happier and you'll attract nicer people in your life that's what's happening right now in my life i feel like i've got so many really nice people that even now just being able to talk to you and being here is like for me it's a blessing like so so yeah so thank you and yeah yeah well i'd love to i'd love to go even deeper into the Hare Krishna yeah. but I think we'll save that for a future yeah. episode oh, come, we'll... live, come live with us for a while <laughs> yeah well, we no, have an ashram there <laughs> no no I, that's the thing I need to come I've been meaning to do it for ages but I need to come check it out yeah, um, come check it I'll out. come check it out and then we can do a future episode going deeper because yeah. I think this is going to be popular I think that people will like this episode because I don't think many people know Harry Krishna's. Okay, well, here we go. I'm the Harry Krishna. I'm the crazy motherfucker that dances in the street. <laughs> <laughs> He's not bald, though. Yeah, that's the only not thing. Not bald. Uh, I One day. Normalized, man. No, I did it before. I've done it. Oh, yeah, yeah, when I first became... When you first become a Harry Krishna, you become, like, really fanatic. You're like, I'm going the whole style. You know, you put the clothes on. You put, like, shave your head. You know, uh, seeker in the back. You know, and mm-hmm. you don't think of anything else. But then after you start to realize that she is... Yes. One is not easy to be hundred percent spiritual. Two, a lot of those things are just external things that are actually not part of the essence. And then you see nowadays, now what's really cool about the Hare Krishna now is that because it's kind of grown up, it's been like growing for like the seventies, yeah. So then what happens? You got people in the seventies or the eighties who've had children who were born in the movement and they've grown up with it nearly their whole lives. Now they're at the age of like thirty, forty, like kind of our age. And you see, they're fucking cool motherfuckers, man. Mm. They're cool. Like, they're just like cool, normal people. But cool, they're like super artistic or super intelligent in their department. Exactly. What but they're not, there's no fanaticism about them. You know, they're not walking the streets, chanting with their head shaved or anything like this. You know, they talk, you just sometimes, they, you don't even know they're Hare Krishna. Bro. And you go, I'm a bit more like, I'm a bit more like out there. Like, I'm a bit more of a preacher in a sense. I'm a bit more of a teacher. Like, hey, you know, blah, blah. But some of them, you have no idea. Like, I have a friend of mine, he's like a, he's like a music producer. Like 100% Hare Krishna doesn't talk about it, doesn't say anything. You have no idea he is, you know. And another another one of my friends, same thing, you have no idea he's even Hare Krishna. He's the one, the psychedelic one, no idea. Yeah, you know? he's in the they're in different worlds, you know what I mean? They just they they kind of like in their worlds, but they're really they're like strong, cool people in their worlds. Mm. So it's really nice. And it's like, like for me, like I got my friend, he's in the psychedelic worlds, in the world of psychedelics, teaching people how to you know, and he's also he brings that spirituality that he's learning through the Hare Krishna's into that place but not on like you have to believe in Krishna or like or maybe as I'm saying like you know like become a vegetarian or whatever or he's very like subtle chilled out about it and my other friend is in music and he, he preaches through his music you know he's like he's on the music scene and he's all like spread love and peace and he talks about like you know deep meaning stuff and even myself when I go on stage and do stand-up comedy I want to be doing you know kind of spreading that love and that peace around the world so and on that note um how can people find you to see your comedy and see what you're about? Uh, so my Instagram is flow flow comic. Actually, no, I'll tell you my first, the one it is right now is called Florian comic. Uh, so that's F L O R I A N. That's right, comic. comic. Yeah, and then I'm going to be changing it um, either today or tomorrow to flow flow comic. Okay, F L O F L O F L O F L O comic. Yeah, I'll be my stage okay. name. Flow flow. Okay, cool. <laughs> 
um and is and yeah. there anything else that people need to know to, uh yeah if you guys you? want i don't know where are these where are the people listening from i don't know oh you don't know yeah but is it all around the world or is it like mostly uk spain i have no idea no idea yeah. i have okay. no idea yet all right well go um, check out harry krishna temple in in saturdays i do the meditation class so come check that out if you're in barcelona um saturdays uh that's pretty cool we have like some nice yoga with some foods it's pretty chilled out and then uh then yeah so awesome thanks so much you've been the third guest so far and the exciting news is you will be receiving a quest for wisdom t-shirt oh yeah i know like that yeah well well, it's actually different to this it's way cooler it's black with the logo like that okay um and then the writing on the back um but the the guy they 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 messed up the back they forgot to put the word four on it so then now they're redoing it so it should be ready tomorrow so then I'll um yeah, I'll email it to you. Me, yeah? I can't email you a t-shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'll I'll fax it to you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks so much. This has been right, awesome. Thank you, Connor. Man, it's been amazing. Cheers. Bye, people. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Quest for Wisdom podcast with your host Connor Monaghan. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to support the show, then please like it, subscribe, and leave a review on whichever platform you are using. This small act is a massive help and is hugely appreciated. You can find more information about all of our guests on thequestforwisdom.com and follow us at thequestforwisdom on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for exciting updates. We also have a Patreon account for anyone who would like to contribute towards the running of the show. Finally, I would like to thank the Comedy Clubhouse in Barcelona for allowing us to record here and for their ongoing support. If you are ever in Barcelona, make sure to check it out for daily shows of comedy and performance art in English. Farewell for now.